Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday, and that means it's Godzilla. Hooray! Woo! Although it's not Godzilla this week. That's true, but we are talking about a Godzilla-adjacent film, mm. as we are often want to do on Thank Godzilla. It's Friday, because not every Godzilla movie is a Godzilla movie. Well, we we decided just uh, out of foolhardiness and, and a mm. sense of completion yeah. to uh, cover every single film that even brushed up against Godzilla. Every single film that introduced at least a kaiju that would eventually interact with Godzilla in one form or another, we wanted to include. Uh, and uh, this week we're actually, we're catching up actually because we accidentally missed one. We, we mixed them up a little bit. We did so if, if it looks weird on the podcast feed and you're mm-hmm. following along, well, that would be why. We well, mixed them up. The, the timeline is, is a little bit off. We actually didn't realize how much this film intersected with Godzilla. Uh, before we get started on that, my name is William Bibiani. Oh. I am a writer for uh, sites like The Rap and Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I also write for Slash Film. I contribute to them quite heartily. Mm, frequently. And, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about uh, Every Godzilla. Gi- gigantic space monster this time around. Yeah, monsters for- have started to come from space. Uh, at this point in the Godzilla well, well, uh, King, kaiju canon. King Ghidorah came mm. from space, yes. but as we've now learned, this one preceded King Ghidorah. Just barely, though. Just, just barely, like by a couple months. Like, yeah. th- this movie came beat um, uh, the King Ghidorah movie by, I think, it came, I think it's just like two months. Um, but, uh, let's see here. So technically this is the first space monster mm. from the Godzilla canon. Um, I guess if it, well, depends on if you count the Mysterians, because... Um, the mole monster Mogera. Like, yeah. Mogera technically started from space, but he didn't show up until he was on Earth. I suppose so. Was Mogera from space landed on Earth, dug his way into a mountain, and then just stayed there, or did the Mysterians land on Earth, build Dolgara? I'm not uh, Mogera. Uh, Mogera. Sorry, build Mogera, uh-huh. and then unleash him. Who can say? Yeah. So little little wiggle room on that I one. Suppose so possibly Mog- uh, um, uh, uh, Mogera. Mogera. Mogera, sorry. It's hard to uh, keep track sometimes. Yeah, well, they all end in Ra, don't they? They do. Um, that, that was... Gojira mm. kind of started that. So now the, the suffix Ra is just sort of what they tack onto any monster. Like, yeah. Like Mosura, Mothra. Yeah. Um, but uh, in this case, and, we're uh, talking about uh, Dogura. Dogura. Uh, A.K.A. Giant Space Monster Dogura, mm. uh, which is uh, a film, as many of our films thus far have been, uh, directed by Ishiro Honda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, came out in 1964, and it was actually part of uh, not so much the kaiju tradition as it was originally uh, based more off of Japanese sci-fi films, uh, along the lines of Gorath and Battle in Outer Space, and I believe the original plan to set this movie in the far-off future was changed. They decided to make it uh, more contemporary, mm. and that led to the creation of this giant monster movie that would eventually, pretty far into the future actually, uh, intersect with Godzilla in the 1988 video game Godzilla Monster of Monsters. In which it was one of the bad guys, and uh, and if if that seems like a little bit strangely canonical, like not quite mm-hmm. canonical, uh, Dogura also showed up in a Godzilla movie after that, mm-hmm. uh, Planet of the Monsters, Planet of the Monsters in twenty seventeen. So yeah. we're preparing well ahead of time. Oh yeah, when that show, when that happens, we're totally set. Dogura was also on uh, a TV series called Godzilla Island. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, which was what, like tiny, teeny shorts. And there was a novel uh, called Godzilla Monster Apocalypse in which uh, Dogra uh, has some connection. So Do- Dogra well. is definitely part of the Godzilla universe. Yes, but like many of the things that we have covered thus far on Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. Its direct connection will not come until much later. Mm. Um, so the pieces are being laid. Yeah. It's like if you're playing like a video game, like one of those interactive movie video games like The Quarry, mm-hmm. and like early on in the in the game, it's like, do you pick up the fireworks or do you leave the fireworks there? And you decide to leave the fireworks there, and then all of a sudden the game says, path chosen. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, did I fuck up? Did I get my mm-hmm. character killed? Should I have taken the fireworks? Or would it be better if I didn't make a lot of noise later? Uh, see, I, I can't play video games like that. I need a yeah. big red arrow saying, go there. Yeah. And that's what I do. <laughs> we, we, we played... Uh, the Quarry's a fun game. It's not not a great bit of storytelling, but it's a fun, like, silly monster game. Where, uh-huh. And um, we, uh, we, 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 we... Ever since then, we started, like, whenever we did something just really random, hmm. it's just like, oh, hey, uh, there's a quarter on the ground. One of us will say, path chosen. We're like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> you never know what the butterfly effect is going to yeah. be. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so, yeah, Dogra will, will be important later. But Dogra is important now because it's the film that we are discussing. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a weird one. It's very bizarre. And uh, and we've, we've reviewed the Mysterians and Atragon. Yeah. Like some other Godzilla ancillary films that are a little bit odd. I liked Atragon. The idea of... Atragon uh, was great. Yeah, um... Uh, this one is a, a lot more intimate. Uh, in fact, this is the most human uh, kaiju film we've had since the original Godzilla, maybe. In fact, it really does feel like they didn't want to make a giant monster movie. They wanted to make a diamond a, a, heist, a heist movie. movie. Yeah, this, and is, the, a, this monster is a crime just, thriller. The monster is like, I don't know, if I were to guess, I'd say maybe 20% of the movie is a monster. Well, I I could see, and you know, I was thinking of Nope a lot through this, because yes. Dogoda Do- 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 reminded me of, uh, what did they call it? Jean them? Jacket. Jean Jacket. It's reminded like, it's, me of Jean Jacket. From, it's like Jean Jacket's nope. dad is yeah, like the yeah. main character in, in Dog. I got the exact same vibe. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, this crime thriller, and all of a sudden this monster interrupts. And I think that's yeah. kind of... You know, this is Ishida Honda. We know this is supposed to be a monster film. Mm. If we didn't know it was a monster film, it would be really shocking. Yeah, they could have this, totally this advertised creature, this as yeah, just a crime film. This creature just yeah. kind of shows up near the end. Uh, I love movies that that aren't afraid to just be a different genre, like just to sort of crack out. It just just whatever. Through, like yeah. I know it's a monster movie. I know it's a horror movie, but I wanted to make a heist film instead. So yeah. mostly it's a heist film, and occasionally and they're the, attacked by predators or something. The problem with movies like that uh, comes to advertising. It's yeah, like you can't really say, "Oh, this is just a plain crime movie." Mm-hmm. People will go in seeing a crime movie, and then they'll be shocked to well, find out there's a monster in it. it. it Depends though. Like Predator is actually a good example. The first like half hour of Predator, with the exception of like the first shot, and if you like show up thirty seconds late to the movie, you miss it. Mm. No indication that there's an alien in that thing for a while. That's true. There's just something. Someone's killing people out mm. in the in the but jungle. If, but you could sell that as an action movie. Yeah. Starring, uh, uh, you know, Jesse Ventura, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. uh, um, Carl, Carl, the guy from Rocky. Oh, Bill Withers. <laughs> no, who is in Brock? Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. How did you do that? Okay. Uh, sorry, That's okay. I forgot. I remember we- Carl. Weathers. You remembered Weathers, Weathers together. We did Bill, thing. Bill Weathers, Carl Weathers. I, yeah. I think I mixed up with Bill Withers. I don't know how you did that. Yeah. But in any case, but you could sell that as an action movie, yeah. and then you'd be surprised to discover they fight a monster with midway through it. Mm. And I think the audience would probably still be like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I know that was a, a big issue with um, 
uh, the film From Dusk Till Dawn. They didn't really know how, yeah. to, how to advertise that. Because uh, the whole premise of the movie is a vampire is, movie, but yeah. it's not a vampire movie until about halfway through the movie. Yeah, the the, the idea of the movie is um, in most movies that are horror movies, they reveal that it's a horror movie sometimes in the very first scene. Yeah, there's a kill early yeah, on, just early to set on. the tone. It sets, but that's but then there's a tone. We know we're in a horror movie mm-hmm. environment. We know when we watch The Ring because Gore Verbinski shot that shit all weird. Everything's gonna be scary. In the real life of those characters, like Naomi Watts in the ring got to like, I don't know how old she was, like age 30 without anything supernatural happening to her. Uh-huh. And when it did, it would probably be really fucking weird. It would be a huge jarring thing. And the premise of From Dust Till Dawn is we're going to recreate that by like setting the audience's tone to standard crime movie. Mm. And then we'll show up with monsters because then the audience will be just as surprised as the characters. Because that's how I felt about Doggera. This felt like a crime movie. Um, But I did like how they were, they set up early on that there are eerie things afoot. The opening sequence takes place in space and uh, there's there's, a a radiation leak of some kind in space. There's a a bunch of like guys uh, in like some kind of like satellite monitoring facility, mm kind of like the the, the big... um, It's Thunderbird 5. Yeah, Thunderbird 5. I was thinking if you've ever seen Apollo 13, uh, uh, you know, the, the Houston Center with a bunch of guys oh, okay. at desks like looking at a big board. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, mysterious things are afoot in space. Lights are in space. Satellites are disappearing in space. There's a really weird bit where a guy's like, what are those lights in space? And the guy says, fireflies? And the guy's like, in space? How are they making that noise? And I'm like, it's not fireflies, <laughs> for God's sake. So weird things are afoot in space. But then we cut down to Japan, mm. and there's a kind of a cool, like, kind of zoom in on the planet, yeah, like, to Japan, and, and uh, really we, kind of good use of effects. Yeah. Like, I, I like the the guys in suits and the miniature sets as much as anybody. But mm. this is the first time I think we've had like such dynamic camera work in there's one some, of these movies. There's some really pretty shots in this like, and we'll like talk Ishiro about it Honda's later. really kind of like stretching a little bit with some of these things. Yeah, there's a, there's one shot of outer space where it's just the Earth is at an unusual angle. We don't usually see it filmed in space. Mm. Like it's kind of like up and to the side a little bit. And you just get this wonderful sense of depth mm. that I feel like we sometimes forget about when we shoot films in space. That everything in the background should look really far away. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just yeah. looks like a star field, and we get kind of used to that. It's because it, usually it's like a, a black velvet backdrop with yeah. you know, lights or mirrors glued to it. No, but it, it, somehow I, uh, they, get, they managed to nail it this time. I, I really got good. to visit the set of Star Trek: The Next Generation once you mentioned when I was filmed, yeah. and um, yeah, I, when the ship wasn't moving, when the ship was moving, they had like a, I think a blue screen, yeah, and they would composite in like the warp field. Yeah, this little star zipping, zipping by. by yeah. uh, when it was at rest, though, they just had, they literally just had a black velvet backdrop. Mm. And it was little tiny shards of mirror yep. that they glued onto the black velvet. Mm-hmm. It was like the cheapest thing. It, but you never but, know. It looks yeah, good. It looks like a star field when, you, yeah. when you're shooting it. Uh, I remember also seeing some of the props. They left them out and they said, you can't touch the props. We weren't going to touch the Fair props. Fair enough. But uh, the little uh, toys you could buy, like the Playmates toys, looked more screen accurate than the ones they were actually using on screen. <laughs> Something about the camera, you know, kind of made it look sharper. That's fun. Um, so anyway, we cut down to Japan where there is a jewelry heist. 
mm. uh, in in progress. There's and, a, and it's it's very like noir and swank. Yeah. They got cool glasses. There's this like yeah. uh, mysterious femme fatale in a car who like yeah. deflects the cops who come questioning. Yeah, the her. cops like, hey, what you doing here? She's like, there's nothing against the law about me parking here, is there? No, I guess not. Well, she's very much of a spitfire, isn't she? <laughs> and then she's... And then, and then a drunk floats by. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like a funny Don Knotts movie where just this comedy I was, drunk... I, I thought it was really eerie, actually. Oh, it's kind of scary. I thought it was hilarious. Because some guy, like just some yeah. salaryman, has, has drunken himself into a stupor, yeah. and he is floating about like four feet off of the ground on his side on his side yeah and he's so drunk he's just sort of like going with it yeah that, and the police are really unusual sight it's an unusual it is a very unusual sight and the first time i saw that shot i was like the fuck are we watching right now mm. and that's great you thought it was creepy i seriously thought seriously if like tim conway was doing that in a disney <laughs> movie about the cat from outer space or something like that we go ha <laughs> Tim I, I, I could see Fred McMurray doing <laughs> exactly. That, I suppose so. Uh, but this gets in the way of the the jewelry heist because all of a sudden all these guys start floating around in space. Like gravity is is affected around mm, them. Yeah, all, all these heist and these guys have cool hats and shades yeah. and yeah, they got little pistols. They're heisting diamonds mm-hmm. and yeah, they start floating up off the ground. Yeah, and then uh, the vault like melts and then they all run away. They all do a huge getaway and then we cut to. And it's seemingly unrelated for a while. Mm. Uh, the house of an old professor type, and he's got a little plate full of diamonds. And uh, well, it's, it's all connected by diamonds. Something's going on with diamonds. Yeah, but these this guy is he didn't hire those guys as a separate thing for now. Uh, and a cop outside his window mm. is like, "Hey, I'm on. I'm searching for a guy. Uh, you, you seen any guys around?" And the guy's like, "No, I haven't. Well, can I come in?" Sure. So the cop comes in through the window. Turns out the diamonds are gone. And someone has infiltrated the house. And who has infiltrated the house? Mark Jackson. Uh, The character Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is a name that will be yelled in this movie Mm. many, many, many times. He's an American. Played uh, by an actor named Robert Dunham. Who who... actually spoke fluent Japanese. Mm. So unlike most Americans in these movies, he's not dubbed. Yeah, I I was curious about this guy because yeah, like, uh, and he uh, has you know sort of an interesting life. He served in Japan during World mm-hmm. War Two. Yep, uh, learned to speak Japan uh, Japanese Japanese. Learned to learn to speak Japan. Yeah, uh, he learned to speak Japanese uh, through a correspondence course. Decided to stay in Japan. He mm-hmm. just liked the country. He lived there. He made a living there. Uh, he had two wives and several children by his two wives. He yeah, married, not at the same time. Not at the same time. No, yeah. like one wife divorced, then got a, you know married a second wife. And uh, uh, he had a pretty pretty solid career yeah, in, uh, as an actor in Japan. Yeah, and uh, we we've actually already seen him. He had very small roles in King Kong versus Godzilla, Mothra versus Godzilla. He had a slightly bigger role in the original Mothra, where he played the uh, the chief of police in New Kirk City. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see him again because he's in Godzilla versus Megalon and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. But I'm watching this movie and there's cops and there's bad guys and there's Dogra and then there's Mark Jackson, man of mystery. He Who speaks fluent Japanese. He's he he actually understands Japanese culture. People are surprised mm. that he like likes edamame, that kind of thing. There's a a, a scene where they're clearly like, it's a really exploitative scene where uh-huh. it's like uh, he's he's a 
an American speaking Japanese and they mm. present him with some Japanese food and like they make a big deal that he knows what edamame is and exactly. how this kind of Japanese tea is his favorite. They're trying to make this guy look really really cool for their for their audience. Like he's, and, he's clearly like the exotic character. And he over the course of the film it looks like he might be a criminal, uh, a, a criminal or, or like a badass a, karate expert. Maybe a who's also agents a, of some kind. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's a good guy who can say, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you later. But uh, he is such a weird focus of attention on this that I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking to myself, should I know who Mark Jackson is? <laughs> is this like an adaptation it's of one of the many hero. great yeah, yeah. Mark Jackson books that were super popular in the 1960s? And it turns out they were actually trying to make Mark Jackson a thing. Well, you, you can kind of tell by the way he's presented because he's yeah. super capable. Mm-hmm. He's always confident. He has the upper hand on criminals no matter what. Yeah. Uh, it's, like like, when, it's like when Dwayne Johnson showed up in Fast Five. It's like, oh, this guy's getting a lot of screen well, time. Well, He's kind of a big deal. I'm trying to think, like, if, if there was an American film and they cast a famous Japanese actor. Sure. Like, and and he was, like, just some sort of, like, super sexy spy guy. Yeah. Uh, the same sort of vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, so they thought they could actually make this guy into, like, a big franchise character. Mm. They thought maybe, I assume they thought he'd be, like, easy to sell mm. in America. The irony, of course, is that these movies were dubbed... In America, and because he spoke actual Japanese, they had to dub. They had to dub now, him, yeah. and so the the star power didn't actually translate, and we we didn't get a whole bunch of Mark Jackson yeah, movies, and, unfortunately. And this isn't the kind of production because these things were churned out. They're oh. really fast productions on these monster movies, and uh, sometimes for international releases, if uh, the the actors were multilingual, they would just shoot the scene twice and have them speak a different language in a different take mm-hmm. and they could release that in you know different mm-hmm. international markets and in some and in sometimes when a lot of countries wouldn't even bother filming in sync sound for yeah, a long time because Italian it was just going to be dubbed anyway. Italian movies were notorious for this. That's yeah. why uh, if you watch Fellini movies, they look a little weird. Yeah, it's because the Italian actors are dubbing themselves. Yeah, and indeed, uh, like they because they Italian audiences were used to dubbing. That's how they were getting all their movies from mm-hmm. Hollywood. It wasn't the big detriment that a lot of American audiences see it as, where people are like, oh, it's dubbed. This looks weird, um, and it was cost efficient. Yeah, and if you wanted to get a whole bunch of international stars and they didn't all speak the same language. Just yeah. shove them on there. They could actually say their lines in English, mm. and it wouldn't matter because we're just going to dub it again anyway. Maybe we'll record oh, um, it and we'll use their actual dialogue. Did you ever see uh, the Leopard, the Visconti movie? Yeah, you know, I never did see the Leopard. Uh, it's really good. I recommend yeah. the Leopard. About a giant leopard is a leopard fight Godzilla. No, it's 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 sort of like a, a failing aristocracy. It has a lot to do. It's like oh, I'm thinking of Leopardon. Of which Leopardon? What's Leopardon? The the kaiju who fights Godzilla. Isn't Leopardon like Leopardon? There's no leopard, not as far as I know. No, it's not an actual leopard. What am what? I thinking of? I'm gonna look at this up. I don't know. There's there's this King Caesar is kind of a dog no, monster. I don't maybe. think there's a giant cat kaiju. Um, no, but the oh leopard. Okay, leopardon is Spider-Man's kaiju. It's oh. the, the live-action <laughs> Spider-Man TV series in Japan, officially licensed. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was actually the first one of those like, you know. Superhero and tights summons a giant robot to do the fighting at the end of the episode. Mm. It actually kind of started with Spider Man, and Le- Leopardon was Spider Man's giant robot. Oh, okay. That's where I was. I was, I was wrong, but I had yeah. the basic vibe of it. Yeah. Uh, but well, I was just only going to bring up the leopard because that's a, a mm. Lucino Visconti movie. Yeah. As Claudia Cardinale, she speaks Italian. Mm-hmm. It has Alain Delon who speaks French. Yeah. It has Burt Lancaster who yeah. speaks English and. 
depending on which vocal track you're listening to, only some of those actors are going to be dubbed. Right. Because in the French language track, Alain Delon speaks French. Yeah. In the English language track, track you hear Burt Lancaster's voice. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, there, there, um, you saw it, but I don't know if everyone in the audience said, there's a great movie called Drive My Car. Uh, came, yeah, out, yeah. came out a year or two ago. And... Um, Part of that movie is they're putting on a production of, I think it's Uncle Vanya. Uncle Vanya, yeah, it's But off. every character is speaking a different language. Hmm. That just simultaneously. They're doing the whole play as if everyone understands each other. And th- that was yeah. that was the conceit of the play. They're yeah. doing this kind of language experiment. Yeah, it was really neat. If you watch that movie, it's brilliant. But um, in any case, uh, Mark Jackson is presented as this really cool, super awesome, like he'll be the Logan in... in He'll be the Wolverine in X-Men, you know, like eventually Wolverine shows up and takes over the show. Not so much, but by God is he in this movie a lot. And he, uh, this old man, he put those diamonds out, he brought the cop into the house. Mark Jackson stole those diamonds. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. And then he beat up the cop using karate. Oh, shit. I didn't expect him to know karate. Mark Jackson is then brought into the gang that was pulling off the heist. And that gang, it turns out, not actually the greatest gang in the world. In fact, they're talking about how there's been a huge string of mysterious diamond heists all over the in Italy, France, Germany, mm. and they're mad because everyone's like coming after them for doing it, and we only did the one. <laughs> That's, we just did one heist. Why is everyone mad um, at us? <laughs> I, I like the the femme fatale character, and I really like. Let me look at the actors, yeah. and I really liked uh, the the gangster character. Um, uh, Natsui is is the the gangster character. Okay. He's, he's played by an actor named Akiko Awakabayashi, and uh, who's the? Uh, I don't know. Who's, uh, I don't. I don't know. Which Yo- character Yoko, Yoko Fujiyama played uh, Masayo. Mm. Um, yeah, I think she was the the femme fatale character. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like I like these criminal characters because they actually have a lot of personality. Yeah, they all in, have very distinct of, figures. There's the Weasley guy, the yeah. mysterious guy, the boss guy, the femme fatale, and you know they're they're types, but they have personality. Yeah, they stand uh, out, which is different from a lot of the humans in a lot of these kaiju movies. Usually, we have kind of blur together. There's plucky, the scientist, plucky reporter, determined scientist, hero guy, pilot man. Uh, mm. It's again broad archetypes, but blandly heroic these guys are a little bit more weasley they actually have a lot more uh, at stake in a story like this yeah and of course mark jackson is mark jackson is like he's the monkey wrench in all of this he's yeah. the one who's sort of fouling everything up and we don't know what side he's playing yeah for. they're like oh you you stole all those diamonds and he's like yes i've got the diamonds right here ha 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 and then it turns out that those were fake diamonds mm. and the guy who was studying them the professor uh played by nobuo nakamura who was in everything. Oh, a lot of these actors. Yeah, have he was in Tokyo long. Story. He was in Akiru. Uh, he was in Throne of Blood. Uh, he was in The Human Condition. He was, yeah, he was just in every fucking thing. His eye low. Um, and we'll see him again in Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas. Um, but... He made a lot of movies with Kurosawa. Yeah, this guy has been studying diamonds. And this will be important because it turns out that the mysterious thing stealing all the diamonds all over the world is this mysterious space creature called Dogra. Mm. And eventually, people like people start investigating. They're investigating the criminals. Uh, the cop starts falling in love with the professor's assistant. Uh, and there's this one weird... Almost a Tonyoni-esque sequence where they're like <laughs> they're talking about love and work, and they're talking in front of a giant coal pit 
like, it's like Jeremy Nall. Yeah, these guys, he's talking like, I, and he, it's not just like they just got like stuck there or whatever like that. She says she lives around there, and it's like yeah. I didn't expect you to live next to a coal mining facility. I and she's like, yeah, I used to play here as a kid. And it's, I think those kinds of images, though, and yeah. uh, we we've talked a little bit about how these movies are uh, mm. meant to sort of represent Japanese pride. Sure, it's like a, you know, the Japanese national char- national characters coming out through these monsters, mm-hmm. uh, intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. I think some. I think sometimes re- I think we've reached the point where a lot of it is kind of intentional now, mm-hmm. but uh, like Ishiro Honda is like, yeah, these are actually mm-hmm. Japan's heroes. I'm just saying, I think sometimes um, more than others, but yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that big you know shot of the slag heap was <laughs> uh, supposed to like tout Japanese industry. Look, industry. Uh, you know, yeah. Po- post war Japan, like post war America, was a, a booming industrial time. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think Japan was really sort of keen to advertise their manufacturing. Sure. So it, it looked kind of grim to us mm-hmm. that this is like this big waste pit. And, they're, and they're trying to put like a like romantic this, scene in front of it. It's just an odd disposition. It's, it, it's more like, like if they were in a gold mine. Like there's yeah. just a lot of money kind of floating through the air behind them. It's very rich. Yeah. Speaking uh, of speaking of background. floating through the air, it turns out that that coal mm. starts getting sucked up into the sky, and smokestacks mm. start falling apart, and this giant space cloud, and we're starting to see that there's some kind of thing in there. We see like a tendril. It, it's one. It's mostly like little uh, like blue cells are kind of floating in and breaking yeah. windows and stuff. Yeah, uh, but and, uh, but the coal is being sucked up into the sky. There, there's a wonderful shot um, where the 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 criminals, the diamond heisters, mm-hmm. are on the run. There's people on their tail, and uh, they uh, they see a truck coming the other way. It's a coal truck. And they scare out the drivers, and they're going to push the coal truck at their pursuers and get it mm-hmm. to crash into them. And while it's rolling down the hill about to crush the uh, their pursuers, it floats up into the air. It's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. And it kind of floats over their heads. Like, yeah. everything with coal in it. Yeah. Uh, well, is being sucked up into the sky. Which also is reminiscent of, later on, Nope. Yeah. Which also has a creature from space that is sucking things upward in a very creepy yeah, you, uh, kind of way. You know Jordan Peele has seen this movie. I would love like to he, talk he, to Jordan Peele about Dogra. Uh, yeah. I would love to, because... Like, like, he loves, like, science fiction. Oh, he loves sure. monster movies. I'm, I'm sure, sure he's, he's seen a lot of these old Godzilla uh, When he found out there's, like, some kind of thing about a space squid, mm. I'm sure he... I'm sure... I'd be very surprised if he hasn't seen it. It'd be, yeah. be a fun conversation to have. I love Nope, but... Oh, I love, oh Nope I is a classic. I, yeah. Instant classic, as far as I'm concerned. I think the movie is absolutely brilliant. Um, so, but this starts, the pieces start coming together. First off, the diamond heists are the result of the space thing. Second thing, the space thing eats carbon. Coal becomes diamonds. Mm. It's doesn't, it doesn't care that they're coal or diamonds. Yeah. Which is weird because it'd be a lot easier to get a lot of coal than a lot of diamonds. Like okay. it's been well, pulling it it's going into vaults to get diamonds when there's literally giant piles of coal all over the okay. world from coal miners everywhere. Do you know how a diamond is formed? I do know how a diamond is okay. formed. Okay. There's a lot more carbon in a diamond. It's like well, it's like crack cocaine, isn't it? It's like just a <laughs> concentrated version of it. I'm just saying it's like right there. There's like a giant pile mm. of of coal right here, or you could break into a vault. Wouldn't you break into a vault? After getting okay. a snack? You can get, like, a few stalks of weed, 
Or uh, a big vault of gummies, like high potency gummies. Well, I'm, I really don't like. I'm really not into edibles. Okay, well, you're not a space squid. <laughs> that is that is the only difference here. <laughs> That's the only thing of note. It's that I'm not a space squid. You're right. It's more like I'm a space, the more like a space amoeba, space paramecium. It's mm-hmm. like kind of a. It looks like a giant one-celled organism. Mm, um, it's like a kind of batiophage or something. Yeah. But enough of dog grub because that's the movie's attitude as well. First we have to do another diamond heist and they do a diamond heist on the side of the road and it's like kind of cool and like the femme fatale has to lay in the side of the road and hope the guys notice her and don't run her over and they do and they're like, oh no, there's a lady in the road and I've never seen a movie. Should we go out and check? And so they're like, yeah, I've never seen a movie either. Let's go out and check on this mysterious thing while we're carrying around diamonds. Is she sticking her... her thumb out and rolling up her stocking. Uh, she might as well have been. So they get out and they're all very confused. Like, oh, there's a lady here. Well, should we get out? Yeah, we should get out. Is she okay? Kind of? I don't know. Get out of the van. Let's give everyone an opportunity to do some things if they wanted to. And the guys are in the back and they're making a shit ton of noise back there and nobody's noticing. And then they break in and there's like a big box and they take the box. But then, wouldn't you know it, Mark Jackson shows up <laughs> and he's shooting at him and it's all badass and like Mark Jackson really wants the diamonds. Oh man, Mark Jackson to the rescue or possibly I mean, to the villainy. Hard to say. He's one kind of a cool other. character. I, I, I kind of like Mark Jackson a I'm bit. amused by how absolutely heavy-handed they are about how amazing yeah. Mark Jackson is. I think is. that's why I like it. I think yeah. I like how just... How bluntly they're selling this character and i want to make it clear mark jackson like you might have it in your head that mark jackson is this like slick sexy alain delon like cool Mm. like badass you know sex symbol kind of guy uh he is like a 40 year old bald white guy in a pork pie hat like he's just like he's he's selling it but yeah, i'm not he's, saying he's not selling he it i'm just saying sort of square jaw saturday matinee good look probably type. not the image you would have imagined when you read the script that's all i'm saying i'm mm. imagining you imagine someone a, a bit more well, hunky and, and, a, and a movie like this you know that they're yeah. shooting on the fly i i wonder like the genesis of Mark Jackson. It's like, mm. did somebody say, I know this guy? Yeah. He's an actor. He's fluent in Japanese. We can well, they've worked with him before. He was, in, yeah. he was in Mothra. He was in Mothra vs. Godzilla. You yeah, know, so they, you know. they, they knew they had access to this guy. Yeah. Uh, did they write the role for him? Mm-hmm. Did somebody write this like sexy American in Japan character? It seems character? to have been written for someone who was fluent in Japanese. Yeah. Because, let's be honest here, a lot of the time, the American actors that they bring in not the best actors in the movie. No, they look really and, and rigid and uncomfortable. I, I think, yeah, I think they're really ill at ease on set. And when they're, yeah. if they ever, if they ever speak Japanese, usually they speak English. Mm. But when but they speak Japanese, dubbed. it's like they learned it phonetically. Yeah, either uh, they learned it phonetically or they're dubbed yeah, Mar- or both. Mar- Mark Jackson, yeah. it's like, oh, well, oh, he speaks, like he just speaks Japanese. Yeah, there's, there's one bit where they they make fun of his accent. So well, I, I'm not. He clearly has an accent, but he, yeah. you know, he's, he's fluent in the language. Yeah, I'm not, I don't understand the, the he language. He didn't learn well phonetically, is my point. Yeah, I don't understand the language well enough to pick up on that kind of subtlety yeah. but uh yeah clearly I'm, the characters i'm, are I'm 1100 days into japanese duolingo so nice. i know which means i've maybe taken half of a one-year course <laughs> duolingo is like 
not quite the same as taking a language course. Anyway, Mark Jackson tries to stop the heist or possibly t- hijack the heist for himself. But meanwhile, Dogra... At this point in the movie, what did you suspect? That if he was a villain or a hero? Uh, I thought he was an anti-hero. I yeah. thought he was like the cool criminal we're supposed to really, really like. Yeah. But I highly suspect that at some point they'd just turn around and say he's a good guy. Um, and uh, in the middle of all that, Dogra, of course, shows up uh, and steals like a coal truck that got stuck there with them, but not the diamonds. Ooh, plot point. Hmm. Where are the diamonds? Uh, The cop is now looking for the diamonds, and there's this really funny, like, their version of the scene with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in the movie Heat kind of thing, where they're like, the cop shows up in Mark Jackson's hotel room, and he's like hidden himself the way Mark Jackson did in the guy's house that time. Like they've got a begrudging respect for each other's skills now. Yeah. There's a, they, they get at one point they get into a fight and Mark Jackson took the first fight cause he knew karate. And now this guy reveals, yeah, I know judo. You just got me with a lucky shot. Mm. It's like, Oh, you know, judo. Ju- Pretty cool. Judo's a sports about like yeah. throwing and pinning. Yeah. It's like, and you get like scored points for it. It's not like a practical self-defense measure. No, no, no. But the movie is playing it off like, you know, I respect you now. You also know a martial art. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Jackson, he he suspects that Mark Jackson stole the diamonds, but it turns out uh, that the criminals, the the wacky criminals, uh, did get away with the diamonds. However, they were fakes. In fact, it was sugar. (laughs) Yeah, they were, they were, they were supposed to be like unrefined diamonds, you know, not polished. Uh, and then it turns out, yeah, it was rock candy. And there's this one guy who's just eating. It's like, mm, and everyone else is mad. Dog, Greg, on it. And so. <laughs> well done. I, I've kind you're, of, you're waiting for that one. I, no, I actually totally discovered that on the fly just right, now. I'm very proud right. of myself. Um, didn't let the opportunity pass. Um, so, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a fight between Mark Jackson and the cop. They, uh, the, the, the cop, Ends up talking to the professor again. The professor has started to notice a mysterious thing about when Dogra shows up. Sometimes he upsets a lot of bees. This will yeah, be important uh, later. Well, th- th- there's a, like a military strike and they have mm. microphones out uh, mm. on their like craft that are flying through the, the space cloud. Yeah. And they, they pick up this weird noises. noise. It's like, is that the monster? No, there's actually like angry bees up in high up in the sky, I don't know how high bees yeah. usually fly. I always assumed it was close to the ground where no, the flowers I th- are. I thought they might have gotten sucked up because it was uh, Dogra, but um, yeah, it turns out that uh, Dogra, this, mm-hmm. at, at this point in the movie, still kind of a cloud, yeah, uh, is being affected by the bees. Yeah, like it's being harmed by the presence of the bees somehow. Yeah, uh, the doctor is trying to figure this out because he's a carbon expert, and maybe he can find a way to try to stop Dogra. Uh, the Dogra actually strikes. And there's a centerpiece in the movie where it's not at the end, it's in the middle, where honestly looks awesome. There's beautiful colors and swirls in the sky. I'm pretty sure they shot it like through water with like mm-hmm. dye in it or something to make like a nifty effect. They superimposed or, or painted on uh, uh, the shot of it. Depending on the shot, looks a little bit like an octopus, looks a little bit like a jellyfish, looks a little bit like an amoeba. But it's definitely got very, very long tendrils. And it looks Lovecraftian. Just like, if you remember uh, in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy, there was that vision at the end of, like, the apocalypse, and there are these giant tentacles and a cloud in the sky. Not unlike Dogra. 
Yeah. But more colorful than Dogra, actually. Uh, it just looks cool. And then it's Dogra, cool. like, uh, yeah. puts its tendrils all around a giant uh, uh, bridge. A, a suspension and, bridge. Yeah, yeah and lifts really it cool. up off the ground and then smashes That's it. That's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, um... It's difficult to sort of fold this into the other kaiju movies because, you know, Dogara is like a gigantic space monster. Yeah. Destroys stuff. But when you think of kaiju, you think of stomping. You think think of guys in costumes. Yeah, guys in costumes walking around on stuff. And uh, the the fact that this thing, A, floats in the air is a little unusual. Yeah. Even King Ghidorah landed every once in a while. Yeah, Mothra could fly, but he landed, yeah. uh, She landed, sorry. This is just uh, this shapeless mass that doesn't have mm-hmm. a personality. It's n- not even intelligent. It's just a sort no. of na- natural force. It's just trying to survive. Yeah. It's just eating carbon so that it can live. Mm-hmm. Um, and after this, like, Dogger goes on, like, a rampage, and there's, it's one of those things where it's done mostly through various newspaper pages. Yeah. And there's one newspaper page where, like, Dogger kills 8,000 people. And I'm like, off camera... Yeah, we didn't. Well, you know, I assume the bridge thing was a disaster, but we didn't hear screams or anything like that. A lot of the actual have, carnage is implied. A lot, a lot of people on that bridge. Di- probably they, they were they were evacuating the city though. Yeah. So it's hard to say exactly what, mm-hmm. but like in any case, yeah, it's like a bit more devastation maybe than we've actually seen because Dogra is attacking all over the world. Mm-hmm. We're just focused on these characters in Japan because Japanese it's a movie, Japanese yeah. film, exactly. Um, Anyway, they do that thing they do in every kaiju movie where the first thing they do is get a bunch of, like, big, giant army guns and shoot at it. Mm. And just once, I want those guns to work. I would love, like, the first, the, like a tank rolls up, fires one shot, Godzilla's dead. Like, yeah. Right, like, right in the eye. Oh, God. See, that's why we start with those. Every once in a while, it works. And we don't need to bring in all these giant space rays and mm. shit. We don't need to do any of that. No, you gotta like... start small. Be great, like some guy just like fires a handgun into Godzilla from like his apartment. <laughs> it's a lucky He's shot. Like, oh, I got him! <laughs> Found a pressure point or something. Yeah, rock on. <laughs> the mis- missing scale on Smaug's stomach. You know? <laughs> just fired an arrow right into it. Um. Uh, meanwhile, we find out that Mark Jackson, they're going through all this stuff in like a, a police station. Mark Jackson just walks in and says, by the way, and I had to write this down because I, I I know they fucking made this shit up. Um, <laughs> uh, he's an inspector from the International Diamond Insurance Group, otherwise known as the Diamond G-Men. You know how there's like an international law enforcement division just for diamonds? Yeah, yeah. Just for di- that sounds like the kind of shit that you'd see like made up in a penny, you know, a penny Look, dreadful. Th- th- this is Mark Jackson versus a space squid. I right. think I'm okay. With I the, wish Mark Jackson fought the space that squid. Been he nice. doesn't. He's he's actually well, only focused on the diamonds yeah, and the criminals. I want to see Mark Jackson actually do something productive yeah, with I the think, squid story. Okay, I, I I hate to use Roland Emmerich as a positive example of anything. <laughs> I, I enjoy a couple of Roland Emmerich's movies. He's made some fun ones. But he's made mostly just schlock. And, yeah. Uh, fun schlock sometimes, but yeah. Fun schlock. Like, I, I love White House Down. White House I, I will great. never impugn White House Down. Now, but, I have uh, a lot of fun with uh, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, which oh yeah, was, was derided for being ludicrous. Mm. And now, like 20 years later, we're looking back and it's like, uh, no, that was actually yeah, pretty it's... spot on. We're kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, but in, uh, in his movie Independence Day, it was a big yeah. hit. Um, he, he knew how to manipulate an audience. 
he knows knows how to make these like big corny thrillers. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the movie, you know, these aliens they have intelligence and they're kind of malevolent creatures, uh, and so we need a human face mm-hmm. to the the fighting force. And yeah. turns out it's a countrywide fighting force and one mm-hmm. guy flies up inside of the ship and other people fly up to the mothership and plant a uh, yeah. computer virus in the, com- the alien computer like we yeah. know that big ensemble cast th- these yeah. people are working to do it yeah and fight the alien menace directly every character in Independence Day mm-hmm. is in Independence Day for a reason sometimes yeah. they're there to die early on so that we care about things yeah, the, but mostly if they make it to the final act they have a part mm-hmm. to play yeah the, the, the script locks together it's yeah. really fucking stupid yeah yeah. But the script locks together. Yeah, that's why uh, it was successful. It's a satisfying watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a bad movie. I will say it. I will say Independence <laughs> Day is a bad movie. I will say, uh, again. I will go. I will say it's a fun matinee. That's as far as I'll go. It's a it's a it's, yeah. summer morning it's, it's, silly action movie nonsense trip. Fine, can't fine. be mad it's, at it. I, I, it's, it's hardly important. I cannot be mad at it. Uh, that's what. But that is what Dogora is missing. Yeah, Dogora is sort of like this force of nature. In the original Gojira, we had scientists who were facing the monster directly and mm. had this new innovative weapon that they were going to use, and they were mm. very torn about how destructive it was. Yeah, every element uh, of the story revolved around Godzilla, if not directly, yeah. then at least closely. Uh, Dora is sucking up all of these diamonds. Mm-hmm. That would piss off the mob. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have the mob versus the monster? Oh, Wouldn't it be God, great if like, fun. the mob... It's like oh it's yeah, like, like, it's like Fritz using... Long's M, but yeah, like the, yeah. but like all the criminals are like, hey, wait a minute! Like we look, look, we 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 got these guys with crop duster planes that have been yeah. smuggling diamonds for us. Let's just get the planes and fly up there and take care of the mod. Like That'd something be fun, like that, right? yeah, yeah something cool. where the where the criminals ha- can do something active to to fight the monster. But yeah. it's the scientists and the military characters who barely interact with the criminals. Yeah. That take care of the monster. Yeah, it's just so the, it's, the, it's the like, cop knows the scientist, yeah. and he knows Mark Jackson, and he's hunting for the criminals. That that's it. It's mm. really really thin. It really does feel like we you you got we were making a diamond heist movie, mm. and then at some point halfway through production, they said put a giant monster, and you're like, oh shit. You know what it feels like? It feels like the third yeah. season of Batman. Where the uh, story, the sixties, the, the sixties TV show, uh, where the, things were just like kind of falling apart, and the, the episodes were getting really kind of cheap, and they were trying to mm-hmm. incorporate multiple villains in the two parters, and then the villains didn't necessarily interact, or their stories didn't overlap in mm-hmm. any kind of significant way. It feels like that. Like they they tried to have a lot in it, but they didn't know how to make them match. So it feels really disparate. Yeah, to me, it actually like I was thinking about this. What's the overall vibe of this movie? And it actually felt a lot to me. Like, Doctor Who without the Doctor in it. Mm. Like, the Doctor would, like, land in the middle of this weird diamond heist, and, like, the main mafia guy would be played by some cool get, like, Ray Winstone or something. They got Ray Winstone this week. And that is interrupted by a mysterious space thing. Oh no, it's melting the vault. And then the doctor eventually realizes, wait, it's eating all the carbon. It's a carbon squid thing from, from Voltar. You know, Voltar. Everyone know. Oh, no one. Okay. I think more exposition, blah, 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 blah. And he comes up with a way to, to fix it involving wasp venom, which is what they do because it turns out that that buzzing was wasps. And when the wasps attacked Dagra, Dagra was actually negatively affected by it, and pieces of Dagra like fell to earth, 
mm-hmm. like rocks. Like it just died, like big chunks of it. And so what they do is they try to start uh, actually making like synthetic wasp venom that they can then pump into the air when Dogra shows up. You know, with these big sort of uh, spray tanks with yeah. parachutes on them, they can have to shoot them up into the sky and they yeah. float, float through the crowd and spray this venom and calcifies mm. the cloud Dogra and it turns into rocks and falls yeah. to earth. This will be important in about 30 minutes because we got to do a lot more diamond heist shit <laughs> because uh, the Mark everyone thinks Mark Jackson stole those diamonds. The bad guys think Mark Jackson stole the diamonds. They break into Mark Jansen's uh, Mark John, uh, Mark Jackson's hotel. The cop breaks into the hotel. The mobsters tie them both up, and it turns out that Mark and, Jackson and like light a fuse. Well, they, it turns out Mark Jackson uh, put the diamonds in a safe deposit box. So they send the femme fatale to go get them, mm. and they don't realize is that she had like earlier in the film tried to betray them and become Mark Jackson's new like partner that Mark Jackson, of course said, no, I, I work alone. And so now they run off. So they run off to find the femme fatale and kill her. And they leave our hero and our actual hero, Mark Jackson uh, with dynamite in their pockets as they're like handcuffed to things. And I, I miss this. A long fuse. It's like trailing out the door. Like the they light it with a cigar. Song, like, yeah. And it's like it's like it's like twenty feet long, even though it's a ten foot room. And so now they're trying to like weasel their way out of their uh, uh, out of their restraints. There's a gun like across the room. A guy's able to get it, but he can only pick it up behind him. Mm-hmm. He can't put his hands in front of him. So he's trying to shoot the handcuffs off of Mark Jackson's hands from From across the room behind behind his his back. back. And he misses a lot. It's like that great scene in Titanic where um, Jack is handcuffed. handcuffed, And she's like, she's got an ax. And she's like, I'm going to break the handcuffs. She's like, wait, wait, test it. Practice first. So like, okay, so hit over there, hit it. Okay, now hit the same spot again. Misses by a mile. Mm. And it's like, Okay, fuck it. Let's just do this. And fortunately, it works out. They free Mark Jackson. They throw the dynamite away. It's fine. But then they chase the bad guys down. The bad guys find the femme fatale. They kill her. And now they're in a shootout with our hero and Mark Jackson. And they're also throwing dynamite back and forth. They'll pick up a piece of dynamite. They'll throw it at our heroes. And unless the heroes are about to pick it up and throw it back, it blows up immediately. Yeah. It's weird dynamite. I don't understand it. Meanwhile, the government is putting wasp venom up into the sky, which has got to be bad for, for the environment. Mm. I feel like that's probably going to mess with our crops eventually and get up into the clouds. But Well, there's, there's a message here, because the Dogoro is formed by radiation. Yeah, it's like, in the sky. In the, yeah, there's like pockets of radiation up in space, and that mm. caused... Like space microbes to mutate into this gigantic yeah. thing, which which suggests, without going into too much detail, that it's fallout from nuclear weapons testing yeah. or the nuclear bomb being dropped in Japan. But that's not a, an element of this movie at no, all. They it's don't real afterthought. That at all. Yeah. Huge afterthought. It's really irrelevant how Dogra came into being. There's no scientist saying it, it isn't until the very end of the movie, like literally the last scene, when the scientist is getting on a plane. And he's saying something to the effect of, yes, I'm going to go give a speech to the UN about how we can use Dogra to, to, bring, to bring world peace. And I'm like, you killed Dogra. How are you? What? Are you, what? 
Hmm. Okay, I guess we're trying to turn lemons into lemonade, I guess. <laughs> so this huge shootout is happening while they're killing Dogra, and Dogra is falling to Earth in pieces, and the pieces... Or they're like meteors now. They're like yeah. falling from the sky, the, and there's a beach shootout where everybody's running around do- dodging the falling monster chunks. Which is admittedly very cool. And the yeah. falling monster chunks are different bright colors. It looks like they're having like, you know that candy nerds? It looks like giant nerds are falling like, on yeah, everybody. It looks like, like candy. Yeah, it looks awesome. <clears throat> and the And it's hilarious, the shot. But there's this one bit where the bad guys are running from our heroes, and they're just like, they see this like beach where they pieces of dog are keep landing and they just say to themselves okay there's nothing else we can do we got to make a run for it and they start running down the beach and one giant boulder like a monty python cartoon just it's lands on them on the, yeah. all on it's a them. good effect it's too. pretty fun because um it there was like compositing on either side of them and like yeah. the actual live action footage is like clearly cut into the middle of the frame it looks yeah. like a really complicated effect and then this mm. big rock landed on them yeah it there's, looks cool there's it one there's really one like... thing that betrays it a little bit because the when the rock lands like the the beach it lands on it doesn't just like fall into sand it looks like there might have been like some kind of sheet with sand on top of it, and it just kind of uh, flops a little weird. I, I think they did that to have, like, the, the sand jump up when somebody oh, yeah. landed. Oh, I know it's exactly why they did it. It's just, you can tell. You can tell they didn't actually kill Dogra and let this giant, colorful space boulder mm. land look, they, on mafia guys on the beach in the middle of a dynamite look, show. You, you know, can tell it was fake, and I gotta tell you something. Do you know People what the knew tax that problems fake. are when you try to hire an actual real space amoeba? <laughs> problem would have made everything so much simpler though <laughs> anyway dogra is defeated everyone's fine the cop goes Do- dogra is defeated and then yeah. then like the rest of the climax happens yeah and then like the the, the mobsters die like, dogra and, is so much of an afterthought yeah, in this and, movie. The, and the cop like as it ends with mark jackson and walking onto a plane and the cop just say hey mark jackson you're pretty cool he's like wait a minute so the, those diamonds that that the criminals were after, they never got sucked up into the space monster. There were never any real diamonds, right? He's like, no, of course not. Hmm. I'm not a bad guy. And he's like, oh, okay. It's actually, yeah, that's kind of... You're very... S- scoundrel hero. You're very bit. cool and virile, Mark Jackson. And Mark Jackson's like, I yes, I am. Yes. And then Mark Jackson gets on a plane, and then the doctor gets on a plane, and everyone waves goodbye to the plane, you know, like people do. And then, then the movie ends. That's the end of the movie. It's 83 minutes. Um, yeah, very, very tight, very uh, strange. I kind yeah, very... Tone is all over the place. All the over stories the place. don't inter- interlock. The characters some, are weird. There's a lot of, like, extraordinary images, but then it goes, like, for a really long time where it's just about this diamond heist story. Yeah. Uh, but the diamond heist story works because the criminals are kind of colorful and they have yeah. like very clear goals. Like everyone in the I, uh, criminal storyline is really really fun, except the cop. He's just mm, kind of just a generic yeah, good guy. But Mark blind. Jackson's a fun wild card. The criminals I, uh, are you know ridiculous. I would love to have seen a world where, like, just this kind of plain dude, yeah, was sold in a whole series of movies as like the next James Bond. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Mark Jackson. What does he look like? A guy <laughs> in a hat who's kind of balding 
and everybody finds him completely irresistible. I would love that. My God, let's actually have some like realistic standards for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just regular looking people as as our super spies. So uh, uh, I've been catching up on those Mission Impossible movies. Oh yeah, and especially like the like some of those earlier ones. Just everybody's dead sexy in those movies. Everyone's way too handsome. Like yeah, I wanted, like, I Tom, wanted Tom Cruise. Whatever you think of him as an actor, he's a handsome guy. I'd love to see a spinoff with just Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Just the two most normal looking guys they got. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, Ving Rames is a giant. He's, I mean, he's a big yeah. guy, but he doesn't look like, you know, handsome, dashing speedo model. He looks like I, I a, he looks not, like yeah. a guy, yeah. you know? And and Simon Pegg, yeah, he's he's whisper thin, I suppose, but he's always got this kind of like just got out of bed look, no matter what role he's in, you know? He never looks like he never looks like he's like he, he did he, he, he did yeah. 500 sit-ups a day like he might right. i don't know but he, they never make him look like that mm. so yeah i would i would love well, more like regular like the, looking the computer people. guys that's why they cast them in, in those roles yeah but um yeah dogra dogra is a weird watch mm. i'm glad i watched it there's i it's it, it feels like a a little bit of an aside and not just because the monster doesn't mm-hmm. interact with godzilla uh, it just, yeah, it feels like Ishida Honda really wanted to make something with, like, not a lot of fantastical elements. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make something a little bit more like Nope, where it's about the people for a long time, and then the monster is, like, kinds of enters into the picture later on. But the problem is, Nope, the monster kind of brings all the themes together and brings all the characters together. Dorgo doesn't do that because the criminals don't fight the monster. They're just trying to continue with the heist in the middle of this disaster. Yeah. Which... Is actually amusing in itself. Yeah, but it takes up some. We've seen these kinds of side plots. There was that really fun one in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, where there was like that guy who was running an amusement park and he was ripping off the town, and then the mayor holds him at gunpoint, and then the amusement park owner kills the mayor, and he realizes that because Godzilla's stomping everything, no one will ever know he did it. And there's kind of like became this kind of cool Hitchcocky and kaiju movie for, but that was for like five minutes. Yeah, this is the whole fucking movie, Rafifi. Versus Dogura. Great pitch, but weird film. The <laughs> a thing. Little, a bit of a strange idea. I, I love the absolute commitment to making Mark Jackson a thing, but I think the thing that I just genuinely love, I love the visual effects on Dogra. I really love that centerpiece where we finally see like that one giant, good looking, you know, giant tentacles in the sky, beautiful clouds ripping up the, the bridge. Mm-hmm. That is some of the most, like, cinematic, beautiful kaiju stuff we've seen. Yeah. Just period. So far on the show. Just to, in I terms of the, the innovation of it mm-hmm. and the actual, like, execution of it. It looks there's, different. There's, there's an aesthetic to it. It's yeah. not, like... Um, I actually got to talk to a cinematographer recently as to why a lot of modern films and TVs are so much darker yeah. than uh, you compared something from the 1960s to something now. It's mm-hmm. like the lights are off in the new ones. Yeah. And uh, he explained, you know, when you're shooting on 35 millimeter film on these old cameras with these giant lenses, the film isn't that sensitive that it can get a lot of images in dark spaces. So they have to blast everything with a lot of light mm-hmm. uh, if they want to be just sort of broadly visible yeah. the way these movies aim e- to be. Even if, you're, even if it looks like it's really shadowy, the bright parts 
super bright. And yeah, in fact, you need a, a lot of hot lights on those sets. The to, cliche to get that light. of Hollywood actors wearing sunglasses. Part of that was a lot of the behind the scenes footage of them in movies. They were wearing sunglasses because there were really bright lights on the yeah, set. Yeah. So whenever they were off camera, they put the sunglasses on to protect their eyes. Mm. Uh, th- there was a rumor for a while that um, that blue screens mm-hmm. were would damage your eyes. Do you remember that? Like sometime in the mid eighties, blue screens, like the blue screen effect, like blue like, screen effects that they would use to composite in images that that would hurt your eye. I never yeah, heard that. Th- and there, there are some productions where you'll see a lot of people like standing against blue screens, wearing sunglasses because the filmmakers thought they would go blind if they stared at it for too long. I've never heard that before in my life. That's yeah. hilarious. Like look up some behind the scenes footage of like space balls. They're all wearing shades because the, there was this oh, rumor in there going around that the blue screens would damage your eyes. Huh, that's neat. Um, so, but oh, nowadays but, they can pick up more dark. But yeah, n- yeah, now the the cameras are a lot more sensitive, and you right. have digital cameras that operate a lot differently. Mm-hmm. They can pick up uh, images in dark areas. You can have a really mm-hmm. low lit, lit set and still shoot and be mm-hmm. relatively visible. The problem is, it isn't. It's a dark room. Yeah, I know. I, like, I, I get and, that you can do it, and it's cool mm-hmm. now. But like, I want to see be the able movie to see stuff, and it's really frustrating because a lot of those movies or TV shows that are shot like this is true in a lot of horror movies, but mm-hmm. like they're they're shot in such darkness if you were in a theater like a giant theater good projection completely darkened room mm. the tiny bits of lighted areas would probably have an impact yeah if you're watching at home and your tv isn't calibrated exactly right and you don't have light coming in through the windows mm. and you're not looking at it from an angle. Like if you're not exactly approximating exactly the conditions you need to see the film, you're literally not going to see the film sometimes. Yeah. This is true for a lot so, of like later episodes yeah. of game of Thrones as well. Where they were talking about like, can't see the fucking film. Yeah. There's there. So there's this tendency toward darkness. And mm. I think here, here we are in the mid sixties and it's already happening. Yeah. You think of some of like just the last Godzilla movie where it's, you know, King gear is flying around in bright daylight. Yeah. Uh, now we have Dogoro pulling up a bridge. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, Ghidorah came after this, but, uh, just barely, they were just barely, yeah. but you, you can see, you know, different, I think it's the same cinematographer for both movies as well. Uh, I can, but, uh, yeah, Ishiro Honda is clearly going for like a different kind of look. There's a lot more color. Yeah. There's a lot more depth and texture to it. Um, yeah, but I would like to remind filmmakers that if you want to blast stuff with light and make everything clear, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with visual clarity. I want to see <laughs> your movie. I really do. There was a thing I remember in, uh, I actually remember hearing about this when they were making uh, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Uh, that like night in the rain. Most of the movie takes place either in the rain or at night. And it's a long time before we get a real money shot. Of that version of Godzilla, or just Zilla, as it would come to be known. Um, But um, when we do see it, mostly it's in the darkness. And the idea was, it's hard to get CGI looking good in the 90s. Yeah. Which is, to an extent, that's fair. Because it, it was, uh, incidentally, it was the same cinematographer. I just H- found that too. H- H- Hajime Koizumi is his name, yeah. and uh, yeah, he he did a lot of these Ishiro Honda yeah. movies. But anyway, a lot of like CG uh, monsters and stuff for a long time, and uh, after Jurassic Park came out, uh, they were filmed in a lot of darkness because that would like hide the imperfections, the fact that they look too shiny. Mm. That would help a little bit. Um, here's the thing that Jurassic Park did. 
showed them during the day. <laughs> yeah. The first time we see that Brachiosaurus, bright sunlight, middle of the day. Mm. T-Rex attacking the Gallimimus herd, bright sunlight, middle of the day. Yeah, some of it takes place at night, but the real glorious shots, we want to see them. And I got to tell you something, when you're dealing with monsters, it is a very different vibe. Mm. To see a monster in the middle of the night surrounded by shadow. Because in your head, it's like, did I really see what I saw? Yeah, well, and you if, know? if you want, like, a, a nightmare kind of monster mm-hmm. skulking around a house, shadows are your friend. Yeah, but if you want to wow us, show us the fucking thing. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I love John Carpenter's The Thing, because so many people have argued mm. that what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. And in The Thing, we see everything. And, and the whole point well, is, can yeah. we make it more scary if you see it? Yeah, they, they really uh, innovated with the practical effects in that one. Yeah. and tried to make the monster unique, uh, yeah. strange and alien in a way that hadn't been seen before. And again, uh, we can see it clearly, and mm-hmm. it's absolutely terrifying. I want to actually see what you're doing, and I want mm-hmm. to be impressed. Yeah. Uh, again, dealing with a horror movie, it's okay if you have like a, a monster yes. you don't see. It. Like uh, compare uh, some the thing to something like Alien. Yeah. Where we do see the creature, but mm-hmm. not a lot. There's not a lot of, like just mm-hmm. broad, clear shots of the monster. But when we see it, we see it, and I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine with keeping it off camera sometimes. It, like, flashes a lot, but like right? I do want to get a good look at it, unless it's only supposed to be in your head. I suppose. Mm-hmm. I guess that'd be a variation, like a boogeyman like, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, I do eventually want to see the fucking mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, but you know? yeah, especially in a, a proper monster movie, there needs yeah. to be okay. Thirty minutes, you set everything up. Monster starts killing stuff. If if you're not if you haven't given me a glory shot by an hour into the movie, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you've done it wrong. Yeah, preferably before that. Like thirty, a lot 30 of minutes, we need to get the first glory shot of the monster. I think of all the great glory shots we've seen of monsters in various horror movies, mm-hmm. like the first time Frankenstein turns around, yeah, and like you see how dead mm-hmm. Boris Karloff is, or the transformation or, sequence in The Wolfman. Or, or yeah. just Dracula up on the staircase. Yeah. You know, there's... Uh, it's an introduction. Wow, look at them. Or, uh, or you know, we see Godzilla's head poking up over mm-hmm. a crest. Or think of the, the cool uh, hatching sequence with uh, King Ghidorah. Sure. He's this animated yeah. thing. And he kind Glorious. of appears out of this, like, phoenix animated yeah. shape. And, yeah, that looks really cool. Um, show it. Please show, show us it. the fucking show thing. It, please. You, 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 we, we paid money to see hey, something. Show us. Who, who was it? Gareth Evans? Gareth Edwards? Who, oh, who was who made oh, the, the... There are two Gareths. One of them made Godzilla. One of them made the raid. Hang yeah, on. Wh- I think it was... Which was the one who made Godzilla? One of uh, the Gareths. I think it was... I think it was Evans? Hold on. Uh, no, Gareth Evans did the raid, so it would have been Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards, uh, who yeah. made Godzilla. Yeah. You, you did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You, Again, you, hold off for a while, you, you but then off. give us what we yeah. paid okay. for, please. It's okay. You you held off okay, and then yeah. Godzilla showed up, and you kept holding off. The, the, there, the, there's a scene at the end, like yeah. the end of the movie, where Godzilla's finally like rampaging through a city. Mm-hmm. The people are running from Godzilla. They run into, like a, a it's like a shelter of some kind. Yeah. And they spin around so we can look at Godzilla, and we can see Godzilla. And then they literally close doors uh-huh. in front of the monster. Here's the moment in that movie, and I'm... I mostly like that movie, but this is the part of the movie that I laughed, uh, but I get why everyone else was pissed. Mm. We've been waiting to see Godzilla. It was first you thought that, uh, what's the name? It's not Mogu. What's the name of the big, uh, uh, 
Motu? Motu. Muto. 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 Muto was the monster in Gareth Edwards' uh, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, at first you think we're going to see Godzilla, but it turns out it's the new monster, the one Godzilla's going to fight. Great. Fine. Fun, good good misdirect. Fine, fine twist. I'm fine Good misdirect. Very, very fun. But then Godzilla, like Godzilla's coming. We know Godzilla. And then we finally get Muto's at like, I think it's in Vegas or something. Muto's at the end of the city. Mm. And then you see Godzilla and he like kind of sidles up and he's almost got his dukes up. Like he's about to play punch out. Yeah. And then they're coming towards each other. And you think, oh, this is it. This is what we've waited for. This is the cool thing that's about to happen. And then we cut to like a little kid watching that on TV. And then the camera moves. And I'm like, you? Why, Why did you do that. That's a funny joke, but it's a mean joke, it, it's the and jo- it's not what the, we're here to the see. The joke is on the audience. Exactly. The exactly. It's like this it's, weird Andy Kaufman gag. That's why I kind of thought it was funny, but yeah. I totally get why people were yeah. pissed, because that's not what we're here to see. You're picking, you're picking the wrong battle. Anyway, we're, we're off the beaten path. Dagra. Um, Dagra is neat. It's a weird film in a lot of ways, but it was it was very entertaining. It was, I wasn't bored with it. Cool monster effect, weird character. We won't be seeing Mark Jackson again, but we will see the actor who played him once or twice more. Um, and we'll see Dogura again way down the in line. a long time. Because uh, this this podcast is going to run for about a year, give or take. So we have some time. But it's going to be weird. Because we're still in the 60s now. Eventually we're going to get into like the, the reboot era in the 80s. We're going to get to the American movies. It's going to be a strange journey. Uh, next time on Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. We're going to get back into the proper timeline and we're going to be talking about another film in which Godzilla doesn't actually appear, but it is going to be about Frankenstein conquering the world. Yeah. It's a kaiju Frankenstein movie. Uh, they have Frankenstein's heart, it gets irradiated. That's never a good thing. Bada bing. This will all be important later. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for uh, for uh, enjoying the show. We hope you've subscribed. If you haven't already, please do. Leave us a review if you can. If you're on Patreon, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. For just $1 a month, you can listen to every episode of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday, one week early. So if you're listening to this episode on the main podcast feed where there are commercials and things, you can go to Patreon right now and listen to our episode about Frank, uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World. And you can listen to that podcast and all of our other new podcasts ad-free. Uh, we also have a lot of other exclusive podcasts on there, including our podcast where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. Uh, we are about halfway through Star Trek The Next Generation. So if you sign up for that tier, you've got, I think, nearly 200 episodes. Uh, just immediately unlock. It's a whole lot of entertainment value. Boom, immediately at your fingertips. We also have uh, our show Only the Best. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We also started one where we're going to review every film ever nominated for Best International Feature. Uh, We have Hangouts, Commentary Tracks. It's a lot of fun, and we want to give a special shout-out to all of our patrons, without whom we could not do this. Also, if there's anything uh, you want to talk about that we discussed in this episode, do you know more about this movie than we do and want to share some trivia? Uh, did we bring up something that you disagree with and you want to have a, a, an argument? Send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or, if you'd prefer, 
sent us an actual physical piece of mail, a piece of paper, a postcard, something, uh, to our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our yeah, P.O. Box? Us, uh, address it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. And we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I, myself, am at William Bibiani on all I'm social the- medias. I'm uh, at Whitney Seibold. I'm on uh, uh, more on Blue Sky these days. Yeah. Uh, more, I, I still do the Instagrams as well. I do a little bit of Instagram. Mostly on Instagram, I share pictures of my cats. Uh, That's kind of what it's for. I right? remember I was like, I don't really do anything on Instagram. And someone was like, it's, it's well, like, sharing pictures of your pets well, and uh, advertising your OnlyFans. So, someone, someone asked me, like, you know, why aren't you on Instagram? Like, the only thing I could post on Instagram would be pictures of my cats. Who would want to see? Oh, right. So yeah. sometimes post pictures. You, you of my seem cats. to have forgotten what the internet is based yeah. on. I literally wasn't thinking, but yeah, you'll see pictures of my cats, uh, and of course I'm on Twitter and such. I am on Blue Sky as well. So um, anyway, that's up. Thank you, everybody, um, and um, never forget, rar, scree yonk. Uh-huh.